Don't miss ACEC's next private market symposium on the commercial and residential real estate market taking place in Scottsdale, Arizona on March 3rd and 4th. Register today to meet leaders in business, land development, engineering, and construction to network and discuss the hot-button issues surrounding this growing market. What does the post-COVID office market look like? How will growth in the industrial distribution market meet the growing demand for e-commerce? How will demographics shape suburban growth? These questions and more will be covered at the event. Act now, space is limited. Go to acec.org to register. Welcome to the Government Affairs Update from um, the American Council of Engineering Companies. And it is my pleasure to welcome onto the program today, Congressman John Katko. Uh, Congressman Katko uh, was elected to the 24th Congressional District of New York in 2014 and uh, was elected for a fourth term in November of 2020. The uh, 24th Congressional District is... uh, Upstate New York, Syracuse, and uh, includes all of Onondaga, uh, Cayuga, Wayne counties, and the western portion of Oswego County. Uh, Congressman Katko is a New York native. He is also a former Department of Justice prosecutor, uh, which is interesting. We have we with Congressman Fitzpatrick. We had two former DOJ um, prosecutors um, on on the TNI committee. Uh, Congressman Katko is the ranking member on the House Committee of Homeland Security as a member of the Transportation and Infrastructure Committee as well. Uh, Congressman, welcome onto the program. Uh, thanks for having me, man. I appreciate uh, the opportunity to speak about a very important topic, infrastructure. And uh, it was like making sausage. It was ugly, but it ended up being excellent. And uh, we're very happy for the American people. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was um, it was a long road. And over a number of Congresses that the discussion of a long-term post-FAST Act bill was discussed. And um, it, it's something to be on the other side of the equation now with it passed into law. Uh, and to help us with this conversation, I also want to introduce our own Dave Bender, uh, who's very well known to our audience, um, an, India, an Illinois native, but uh, uh, tied in uh, to uh, what's going on here in Washington. Dave, welcome on to the program as well. Great to be with you both. Thank you. Hey, Dave. Hey, Congressman. How's it going? I'm doing just fine, my friend. That's good. <laughs> so I, let me let me start off here and 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 just give you an opportunity to for for the listeners who aren't familiar with with New York State and and where your district is to tell us a little bit about your district and and what the most important things are uh, related to infrastructure that really will affect your constituents um, as part of this legislation? Sure. Uh, I represent uh, New York District 24, which is Syracuse and Central New York area. So I have the urban center of Syracuse, New York, which is one of the largest cities in upstate New York uh, with about 130,000, 150,000 people in the city, but about 500,000 in the metropolitan area. And uh, I also have some very rural areas and rural counties like Wayne County, for example. But um, you know what we have in our area is just a complete um, a rust belt type situation. Whereas we have roads and bridges, especially a lot of bridges that are in uh, that have failing grades. Uh, we have um, uh, a lot of lot of roads that are in badly needed, bad needed of, uh, of repair. We also have 
uh, water infrastructure issues that are quite significant. There's, I, I can't even tell you how many towns and municipalities are under consent decrees to fix their water systems over the next 20 years, and they don't have the money to do it, or at least they didn't. I think they do now. And in Onondaga County, for example, we have a disparate system of sewer districts, and um, they have not been managed well by the local municipalities. The county is planning on taking over those sewer districts and undertaking this massive system to fix it because it's in terrible disrepair, and that's in violation of consent decree regarding Onondaga Lake. So we have infrastructure issues all over the place here in central New York, and that's why this bill is so very important for it. And really, quite frankly, I've been working on this bill since I first came to Congress mm -hmm. as a member of the Problem Solvers Caucus, and I helped write the guts. I actually wrote the guts of what became ultimately became this infrastructure package. You know, you also have in your district a major interstate, I-81. Uh, yeah. Which, which, as a Pennsylvania native, I mean, that's, you know, that that when you look at I-81, I mean, that that's a quarter of it opens up commerce and trade essentially from the Washington, D.C. exurbs in the, in the western portion all the way up north through the state of New York. Yeah, if you look at 81, really, I mean, I drive 81 a lot going back and forth to Washington. I usually fly, but and there's many times where I've had to drive as well. And, you know, different areas have different needs. Like in central New York, we have a aging, uh, well past its use, it, what well, its supposed life, the elevated 81 highway going through central New York. Now they got to figure out what to do with that. It's supposed to have been done by 17, 2017. And here we are in 2022, and it hasn't even started the reconstruction. And what is it going to look like? Is it going to be a community grid with, a, with an 81 that's moved over to 481? or not, mm -hmm. he's got that. Then you go across the Pennsylvania border, and I think you'll agree, the roads in Northern Pennsylvania are terrible. Yeah. And, uh, you know, from basically uh, from the Northern border of Pennsylvania, at least through Scranton, they're in really bad shape. They are. Then you get they down are. there, then you get down to Harrisburg, and from Harrisburg all the way down, uh, it's clear that the infrastructure is not keeping up with the traffic, especially you have all those warehouses all the way down, from there all the way down to the Tennessee line and, and the Carolina lines, you got a, uh, you know, a two-lane highway, it probably should mm -hmm. be three. So there's infrastructure problems throughout 81. It's a, it's a good microcosm of, of what's going on with infrastructure and how what happens when you neglect infrastructure, the problems that arise. Absolutely. No, you're absolutely right. The uh, the road condition leading into Scranton and getting down to Harrisburg and that juncture, uh, the truck traffic on a uh, two-lane highway, uh, some of the on and off ramps there, it's, a, it's not just a, an efficiency question, it's a safety question. Uh, there's no question have. about it. Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, having a, a long-term infrastructure bill like the uh, Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act is critical to allow states to have the flexibility to plan in advance how they're going to allocate those dollars. And, you know, the, the top line numbers from New York that we're seeing, you know, the, you see it within the state of New York, there are about a uh, little over 1,700 bridges, 1,702 bridges and over 7,292 miles of highway that are considered in poor condition. And on the aggregate uh, across the state, that's led to about a 7.4% increase in commute times. And it costs the average driver about $625 a year in costs that associated with driving on these roads. So you know, the, the, the need for investment is, is real. Um, were you surprised at how this bill kind of came to the floor and, um, at the end result of the vote, um, 
Yeah, I was, um, uh, it really became the victim of politics, you know, and, and that's just what happens sometimes, you know. Um, but I'm going to take a step back just for a second to yeah. explain how we got to that point, because mm-hmm. what happened in 2017, the, 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 trans- the Transportation and Infrastructure Subcommittee for uh, the Problem Solvers Caucus, uh, I headed it up and I volunteered with a Democrat uh, from um, Connecticut to to write uh, to write the infrastructure report. We wrote a very detailed report back then in 2017, and then updated in 2021. And the report dealt with everything from you know uh, streamlining administrative processes to touching on each of the subject areas: the highways, airports, uh, uh, roads, bridges, uh, uh, water infrastructure, ports, air, you know, uh, rural broadband, everything. And then we presented it to. Uh, uh, a group of governors, senators, and uh, members of Congress in Annapolis, Maryland. And from there, the Senate senators took that, the guts of that recommendation and report, and then uh, formulated their bill. So we were quite proud of the collaborative effort, and it was very bipartisan. Came out very bipartisan out of the Senate with 19 Mm -hmm. uh, Republicans, including Mitch McConnell and uh, Lindsey Graham. And we thought it was going to sail through the House. You know, 70 people in the Senate voting on an infrastructure. Well, that's a good deal. Uh, yeah. August came and then August went. I think if we voted on in August, it would, have, it would have passed with 60 or 70 votes. But I think politics intervened. I think um, certain people uh, 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 in Washington uh, decided they didn't want to get Biden to win. And that contributed to it. And then it got subject to the political whims of uh, Washington. Mm-hmm. Where people are trying to say it was tied to the, uh, it was tied to the Build Back Better plan, which it absolutely was not. Yeah. And um, there was two groups, two groups of thought. One was, if we pass this infrastructure bill, there's a better chance that the Build Back Better bill will fail because it satisfies the moderates in the Democratic wing, and uh, it kind of decouples it. And we turned out to be right. Uh, and but we tell you, we took a political beating for taking that stance. There's only 13 members of the Republican Party in the House have voted for it. And I was the very first to cast my vote for it. And I took a tremendous amount of heat for it. And it's to this day, it's kind of a head scratcher because, as we've just discussed, that we have huge infrastructure problems in this yeah. country. And this is a big down payment on them. So um, I think this bill is going to be like a fine wine. It's going to age very, very well. Yeah, and, and it's it was kind of a head scratcher because you know historically um, investing in infrastructure has been a Republican core issue. Um, well, it's, it's a quintessential constitu- government issue. It's one of the government yeah. issues. You it's, know, a, it's a core constitutional safety. responsibility. Yeah, of course it is. Yes, it is. Right. So having having that become involved in the political process or, or you get mired in the in, in politics was unfortunate especially since especially on the TNI committee it's one of the few committees in, in in the house which is known for being fairly bipartisan in, in and very policy focused not not so much political I mean you get into issues of politics when you talk about you know rails to trails and certain things that that are a little bit more hot button issues but right. it mainly comes down to urban versus rural and programmatic debate not politics um but i think you're right over time this is going to age very well um and we've heard the same thing we you know we've talked to uh, members of congress and they said the same thing from their they're hearing from their constituents it was that confusion that um the infrastructure bill was part of this larger 
spending package that the Biden administration is still working through. And for some reason, I guess, I don't know, maybe because social media and the fact that, 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 you know, bad information spreads faster, um, that became the prevailing thing. And I think that the, the point that you make that this is not build back better, this is its own standalone bill. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, early on, too, I think they were referring to the Build Back Better bill more like the human infrastructure bill. So people heard the term infrastructure and cross-pollinated them. But um, I really, the real problem came, and I'll be perfectly honest, came from our side. Uh, yeah. When people that wanted did not want this bill to pass and did not want to give this president a win, decided to really kind of make these specious arguments that if you, one passes, the other one's going to pass. And obviously, we've seen that's not true. And so they felt like this was going to lead to this cataclysmic social spending. And I felt that mm-hmm. if we didn't do this, it would probably lead to that because it would it would force moderate Democrats to have to find a um, uh, find a win somewhere. You know, so mm-hmm. they're able to withstand some of the heat from their own party for the build back better failure uh, by the fact that uh, this this passed. And I think that's mm-hmm. why the senators are looking at it. And yeah. this is. Um, Listen, I'm, I'm right now. I'm getting. I'm gearing up to start meeting with all my local stakeholders to tell us what are your infrastructure priorities. We already know them, but what are they? How can I help? I've already seen what the, the great work that's happening at the airport because of this infrastructure bill. They just got uh, 27 million dollars infusion in funding over several years, and the first tranche is already here, and they they're they're already using it for infrastructure at the airport. So that's yeah. what kind of things we need to start working on. Yeah, and that's a really good point. I mean, we we're past the point of it being, I mean, you know, you have the fanfare of it passing, you have it being signed into law in a ceremony. Now is where the rubber meets the road, and really, it's the question of now implementing the bill. Um, and I think that's that's a good anecdote um, on on agencies, local agencies coming and and trying to figure out exactly how to take advantage of this. Um, have you noticed uh, an increased enthusiasm on part of um, county executives and um, state executives on on trying to navigate this and get the money to where it needs to be for their projects to, to, to get off the drawing board? Oh, God, yes. They're very excited about it. And I think um, not just them, but it's not just the county executives. It's like the town, the town people, you know, lots of people have water issues and now they got, you know, they're going to have access to substantial funds for uh, water remediation issues. And mm-hmm. like I said, these consent decrees are, are, are all over the place in upstate New York. And this is really going to help them. And, you know, you know, we also have the Lake Ontario water resiliency issues. Mm-hmm. And um, so the discussion is going from can we do it to when can we get it done? And yeah. I think that is really exciting. And um that's going to mean a lot for upstate New York. And, you know, we get, you think about the timing of it for us, too. We have a possibility of landing one of the major chip manufacturers in, in our county. And the infrastructure that's there and that infrastructure needs to be built around it, if, if, if it comes, they're now thrilled because they know they can afford to do it. Yeah. And they're going to have the resources to do it. And um, so there's a lot of synergy going on right now. And it's good that we're past the debate. And um, it's funny, you don't hear anybody saying anything. The naysayers aren't saying anything now. Like, hey, you were right. But guess what? <laughs> we were right because Build Back Better is toast, it looks like. And uh, the infrastructure is roaring, roaring ahead. I'm really excited. Yeah, I mean, programmatically alone, New York is expected to receive about $2.6 billion over five years for water infrastructure. 
Uh, again, a lot of that that's is, amazing. is it's amazing amount of investment. I mean, that's outside of, of, I mean, that's for clean and safe drinking water. It's for replacement of, of, of bad pipes, you know, but that's over and above everything that's going to be figured out in, in a word of bill for your, your normal army Corps project. So you're talking about 3.6 right. billion right. investment over and above what you're looking at for, for the other infrastructure investments. So that's considerable. Um, and as you mentioned, the airports, I mean, $685 million for infrastructure development over five years for airports throughout the state. So you can start to see where this money is actually going to be going to direct benefit for communities within the state. Um, you know, for our industry, for engineers, I mean, we're, we're excited because now this level of investment is going to allow for, and, and again, this is the big difference. It's not shovel-ready projects. This is for states to use the money where it's going to be most effective to produce the best projects for the longest amount of time. So it allows our people to figure out what's going to work best for your constituents and firms within the state of New York to put their knowledge and expertise to task to develop good, longstanding, resilient infrastructure. Um, and that's, that's another important thing. This is not the American Recovery Act. No, no, it, it most definitely is not. I mean, I'm when you were talking, I was just thinking here in Syracuse, New York, we have some of the cleanest drinking water in, in the country. Uh, and it's taken out of Skinny Atlas Lake, which is 10 mm -hmm. minutes from my house. And all of a sudden, the last couple of years, they've been having algae bloom out, outbreaks, right? They've never had those before. And they the water is so clean there that they don't even have a filtration system. Yeah. Now they need to they they you know they need to extend the pipes in the deeper waters in Skinny Atlas Lake. They also need to um, install a filtration system or an emergency filtration system. Uh, and that costs a lot of money, but they're going to mm -hmm. be able to do that now and make sure the clean, the, the drinking water is safe. So that's really important too. So um, there's a lot of um, good examples like that yeah. all over the place. And this is really going to help. Now, as a TNI member, um, you know, now the role goes into oversight and the hearings that I'm sure will follow on proper implementation of uh, the bill and the, the fact that DOT and its modal agencies are going to have to be using this uh, this funding in the appropriate way. Is there anything that you're looking forward to and in, in kind of bird dogging and making sure that, you know, everything's working out? Yeah. Uh, Core of engineers, mm -hmm. you know, they, they move at a turtle's pace and they got yeah. they got to step up their game big time. We've got a, 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 a seawall in Fairhaven, which is a major a major uh, um major uh, bay up in uh, Lake Ontario and uh, the walls collapsed and we've been yeah. trying to get them to fix it. They came a couple of years ago and got it secured. So it's, it can be secured until, until they can get at it. And now the walls collapsed and that's going to have a cataclysmic effect on a lot of homes in that area. If they don't get their, get their act together and get moving. So the army Corps of engineer is one of the big bottlenecks for us. They just seem to can't get out of their own way. They're so stuck in bureaucracy. So mm -hmm. we're constantly riding herd on them. We're going to ride yeah. herd on them some more. And I think we're having actually having a, a water subcommittee hearing today or tomorrow that uh, they're going to be at. And I'm going to ask them, when are you going to get this stuff going? And you hear this bureau speak from them. And they've got to get themselves moving and got to, they've got to be more responsive to these issues and get them moving. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> that's one of them. And I, I do want to digress yeah. just for a second. Yeah. Because the TNI committee itself, um, we generally have been very, very bipartisan. I was drawn to that and to the Homeland Security Committee, which I'm a ranking member of. 
because it's, they're quintessentially bipartisan issues, right? Uh, Homeland Security is generally still that way. Uh, TNI has really devolved into some partisan, uh, partisan legislating. And, um, uh, you know, I was there seven years ago. We, we did the FAST Act and man, that was like over 400 people voted for that in the House, 400 members. And that was a fantastically bipartisan issue. And now we've seen that been mired in this uh, partisanship since 2018. And I'm not trying to play party politics, but when the Democrats took over, it was basically like, screw you, we're not working with you. And um, I'm hoping to get back, you know, with DeFazio retiring, I'm hoping that we can get back to more of the bipartisan uh, nature of that's a hallmark of a TNI. It's really important. Well, that, you know, you raise a good point. And, and, you know, I was going to ask you about this because of the announcement by uh, Chairman DeFazio that he is retiring. And that's kind of opened up the question, of course, of what happens in the next Congress. Now, right now we're going into a fairly contentious midterm. I mean, political wins right now are favoring uh, the Republicans in, in the House. If the Congress switches, then of course, you'll be um, chairman of knock on wood chairman of house uh, homeland security um and um in the majority in tni how do you think the leadership is going to kind of fill out there i mean it, it, do you have a an idea of 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 what the committee might look like um in the next congress should that happen yeah the tni can be like a, i always look at it it's a gigantic committee right yeah and i remember when i started out i was way down front and now i'm in the top row after seven years so there's about eight people in front of me, nine people in front of me, all of whom are highly capable of running the show. I think that we're going to get someone that's good that's going to lead it. And uh, we were, I, th I think, and I hope and pray that they'll lead it in a bipartisan manner. I think it's, it's really important that they do so. But I, the people that seem to be in the runnings all seem to be pretty level-headed people. Yeah. The last thing you need to do with TNI is to appoint a partisan hack to it. That's a, that'd be the worst thing we could do. And I think Kevin McCarthy's mindful of that and, those of us, I'm on steering committee too. We're, we're mindful of that. And I'm going to be very mindful of that with the candidates yeah. coming forward. That's for sure. It's going to be interesting to watch. I mean, yeah, my time on TNI uh, with uh, Chairman Schuster, it was a very, it was a, it, it was a very, I guess, you know, to use the word equitable, I guess, that, that everybody had a say. Uh, and it was, it was, it was generally, um, you know, the process was, bipartisan and 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 everyone seemed to have uh, some input so oh there's um, no question about that schuster did a wonderful job he was one who shepherded through the fast act he mm -hmm. did a terrific job and there was a lot of give and take there was a lot of horse trading going on and that's the way it should be that's what that's where we're supposed to be and uh we need to get back to that i'm hoping for the next appointee yeah. uh on the republican side as chair that we're gonna um we'll get that we'll get back to that well i've, I've been i've been hogging the mic here dave you've been listening in i'm sorry um the, the conversation's oh, just been flowing yeah <laughs> i mean what what, what is, what's your take i mean you've been you've been you've been talking to people i mean and, and you know uh with also with uh congressman Kako. i mean you know what's your take on how things are right now with uh with this bill now across the finish line well speaking with other states i mean i think first and foremost they're very appreciative of the votes that the 10 uh, that the 13 republicans attend out of running for re-election really took a courageous vote and and you know some of them is as as humble as as congressman kako is it's like look it wasn't courageous it was the right thing to do but in fact politically it was a courageous thing to do and we understand that and you've just heard 
exactly why he supported it. I mean, you look at one of his state colleagues, uh, Paul Maliotakis, you know, we didn't anticipate her for a while being a yes vote, but then she explained why she was a yes vote, and we, and we totally understand that. Um, Congressman, I, I read over the weekend uh, over the, the political magazine feature article on you. I thought it was absolutely perfect. Uh, they, they, they hit you dead on on this. They got exactly to the heart of who John Katko is from start to, to finish. Uh, my wife even read it. It was just laying on the, I printed it out to read it a second time. And uh, I was home over the weekend. My wife read it and said, now I understand why you constantly talk about this guy. His, <laughs> his views are awesome and, and he's, he's comfortable with who he is. How do you think that uh, article came out? Because I know a lot of times like uh, Dan, your comms uh, staffer is probably a little nervous on how this is going to turn out. But I just think the article turned out. Well, I mean, uh, I thought it was very thorough and, and balanced. I think they may have set out with a different uh, idea in mind. <laughs> but it, I think that the, the reporter, uh, for once, followed the facts and, and, and followed uh, the sentiment and did his homework in the district. And um, uh, I'm very proud of it because it really does mean that um, um, uh, I think really does mean that, you know, uh, bipartisanship can work. Bipartisanship does work, and uh, you can get the crap beat out of you for being bipartisan in this political era, but it's still, in my opinion, it's still worth it. And that's the end message I have, is that going forward as a country, we need more bipartisanship. we got to dispense with the angry rhetoric on both sides because it really doesn't get us anywhere. And I'm, I'm kind of hoping that maybe this infrastructure bill was a touchstone for that because we're turning out, like I said, it's aging well already. Uh, and Build Back Better is a failure because it's partisan. This was not. It was a success because it was bipartisan. And quite frankly, that's why I came to Congress to begin with. So um, uh, uh, that's why that's how I'm looking at it. No, yeah. I, and you know, the interesting thing about the article, and you mentioned it at the top of the interview when Jeff introduced you here, um, you know, you're kind of unique because you have a substantial, you're a Republican and, and part of substantial part of your district is in an urban area. Plus, you have a big rule component of your district. That's just something that just uh, that Republican members of Congress uh, do not uh, do not. You don't see that much anymore. I think I thought it was really interesting in the article how, you know, um, they, they basically mentioned, you know, you had such you have such a connection with your district, with the members. It, it kind of gave you the breakdown of, you know, a third Democrat, a third Republican and a third uh, independent. And uh, it kind of describes a little bit about your, your style and your staff, too. You, you credited your staff, which I think is awesome. Anytime a sitting member of Congress credits their staff. But it shows me that you had in touch with your district. How do you, uh, how do, you do that? How, how, is, how, how does a member of Congress stay that in touch with their district with that diverse of a political spectrum as well as a geographic spectrum? Yeah, well, I think the bottom line is this. First of all, um, uh, it is one of the, I think it's the worst district for a Republican to hold, the toughest to hold in the country. And so if you go in knowing that, you can't be an idiot. You got to understand that you got to work with the other side, right? And so I listen to everybody. I work with the other side, but I also spend an extraordinary amount of time in my district. Uh, I am not uh, uh, enamored, if you might, is the right word to say, with the D.C. social scene. Yeah. I'm far more concerned with, telephone town halls. I've probably done six dozen of them. Uh, uh, and I, I constantly getting the feedback from my unbelievably uh, competent staff, both in DC and Washington, about what's going on back in the district and what, would, what do we need to do? 
my, um, you know, as you know, the district staff, you take in a lot of the constituent calls and then they look your, your DC staff looks at how can we, how can we address those concerns? And there's a great synergy between the two offices. And when I'm home, I'm out in the district talking to people. When yeah. I go to the grocery store, sometimes it takes an hour or two because <laughs> I listen to people. I stop, stop and talk to people. Let them, let them, you know, get it off their chest. And, I, and if you're not a knucklehead and if you listen to people and you act on what you're trying to do, that, that really works. And I, I'll give you a quick example. Uh, a woman here was aunt was tragically murdered because um, because of the New York bail, bail reform laws or because of the tenor that, that those bail reforms set. And this person got out that shouldn't have and got out and killed her 93-year-old mother, uh, aunt. So they came and talked to me. And because of that, we, we, we've introduced a bill. And they, they see the results when you do things like that, right? Yeah. That's how you survive. And it's not just surviving. It's, it's about being bipartisan and doing the right thing. And, and I think this is another example. I stuck my neck out for the infrastructure bill because it's the right thing to do. And I, I couldn't give a damn if it, it cost me my seat. Uh, if it does, well, then I still know it's the right thing to do. But at the same token, um, you know, you got to have that political courage. And I'm, I'm not worried about being reelected. I'm more worried about doing the right thing for my district. And I think that comes through. Absolutely. I, you know, I think that's a, a, it's a hallmark of a good congressional office when you have a good connection between the district and DC staff. Um, I, I have my own experience being on both sides of the equation, doing casework in the district and then moving down to DC. And if you don't have that link, then you're not going to get anything done because you're not able to translate the needs of your constituents directly down to the legislative process in Washington, then you, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. That's why I sleep on my couch. Yeah. In my office, <laughs> I do because I will not. I, I do not want to get comfortable. I don't want to have an apartment down there and get comfortable down there because yeah. then you start falling into things, and I don't want to do that. And that's why I, I can't wait to get back home. That's a good thing. Well, well, Congressman, I, I, you know, before before we wrap up here, and and I know we wanted to talk a lot about infrastructure, but I couldn't let this go because this is a, an issue that you were very helpful with uh, us on, and that was related to um, the uh, Paycheck Protection program and the loans. And it was a flawed regulatory decision that essentially eliminated one second. PP- yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. Sorry. No, it was a, it was a program that, that, that essentially eliminated PPP loan forgiveness for engineering yeah. firms in New York and throughout the country. And as, as again, a case of bipartisanship, you partnered with Congressman Anthony Brown of Maryland to successfully attach yep. an amendment on this to the defense authorization act. Now, we had some pushback in the Senate um, with the Small Business Committee and Senator Paul. That prevented us from getting across the finish line uh, from the fix staying in the bill. We're going to stay focused on it in in 2022, but we did want to thank you for your support in the House on behalf of um, uh, New York's engineering uh, industry and and America's engineering industry. So we wanted to thank you for for that support. And again, it's- Well, I'll tell you what, there's another example of listening to constituents. I had major engineering firms here, and they told me what they needed. And I, uh, um, uh, I acted on it. So that's another example of it. So I'm glad Absolutely. to do it. Well, thank you again for that. And thank you for your leadership in the house. Uh, you know, we're, we're always focused on solving challenges and problems. And, and it's good to know that there are members of Congress who are focused on doing the same thing in Congress. So uh, Congressman John Katko, thank you so much again for being part of the program. I wish you a, half, a healthy and, and successful uh, new year and uh, good luck in the months ahead. All right. Thanks so much. And good good luck to everybody out there. And we'll keep chugging along. All right. Take care. Wonderful. Thank you. Take care. And again, this has been Engineering Influence on the Government Affairs Update from the American Council of Engineering Companies. We'll see you next time.